Well, good morning once again. We are so glad that you could join us at Joliet First today. Pastor Brad warned you that last week that you'd be hearing a lot more from me, and here I am. So take that as, as you will. Um, pastor Brad, who is our lead pastor, um, and some other men from the church are on an expedition hiking through the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. Um, as far as I know at this point, no one has been mauled by a bear or anything like that. Um, we're praying that they all get back safely uh, on Tuesday. So that has given me another opportunity to um, share some insights from the Word of God with you this morning. Um, let me just say that if you have any appreciation or get anything out of what I say this morning, then you need to go find Holly Odom and Tara Price and tell them thank you. Because they took my children for the entire day on Friday so that I could uh, work on study on my work on my sermon. And also, if you are thankful that I'm able to form any words at all and put them into sentences, you need to find Lorelai and Zoe Summers because they went to uh, Starbucks this morning and got me coffee. So they know my love language. Okay, so at first, I want to take just a, a moment and um, share with you about Joliet First, in case this is your first time with us today. Um, at Joliet First, we are becoming a community of hope. And as a community of hope, we are striving to be the edges to our community of Joliet. In Leviticus, God commanded the Israelite farmers not to reap the edges of their fields, but to leave them for the poor, the widows, and the orphans. And so we at Joliet First want to be the edges to our community by seeking God with our whole hearts, investing our time, our talents, and gifts into his kingdom, restoring people back to the original image of who God created them to be, and then sending our people out into our communities and beyond to carry that image to a lost and broken world. So that is Joliet First in a nutshell. So this is our second week in our series, Group, God's Plan for Creating and Sustaining Community. And in case you missed last week or were sleeping, I want to catch you up. Uh, last week, Pastor Brad introduced us to a man named Paul who wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica because they had a problem. The people there were so sure that Jesus' return or his second coming was imminent that many of them had stopped working and were just sitting around waiting. They had become a drag on the community. In fact, Paul described them as idle and disruptive. We learned that slack is the seething current that kills community. In fact, we need to pick up the slack to keep it on track. I love that Brad made things that rhyme, that they're easier to remember. Pick up the slack to keep it on track. We were reminded that each of us is responsible for our own spiritual growth, and we need to stop sitting around and depending on others to feed us. We are responsible for feeding ourselves. Community takes work, and unwillingness to work is a refusal to thrive. One of our core values here at Joliet First is invest. And last week, we learned that we need to put action to that. And being invested means getting connected. We were challenged to get connected by joining a small group. 
So last week's big idea was creating community takes work. The big idea for this week is creating credibility in community takes authenticity. Creating credibility in community takes authenticity. Would you please pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, I need you this morning. We need you. We are nothing without you. I ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to what you have to say to us this morning. May we be willing to put into practice what you want us to do. May we be willing to get invested. May May we be willing to be authentic and to share our lives with others. We ask that you would guide my words, guide my heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So many years ago, many, many years ago, when I was a freshman in college, um, yeah, it was many years ago, (laughs) uh, I injured my knee playing volleyball. I'll bet almost none of you even knew that I ever played volleyball. That's how many years ago this was. Anyway, um, I ended up having to have surgery to repair a tear in my cartilage. And the doctor was able to repair my knee arthroscopically, which is when they make really teeny tiny incisions and then they stick a camera in there to be able to see, to guide them. So after my surgery, I was actually given a sheet of pictures that showed the inside of my knee and it showed like what it looked like before when it was torn and then it showed what it looked like after when he had clipped off the torn edges and fixed it all. And I thought that was really cool. So a week or so later, I uh, flew out to Washington State to spend my Christmas break with my uh, extended family, and I took the pictures along because naturally I would thought think that my whole family would want to see what the inside of my knee looked like because it's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, my aunt and uncle did think that the pictures were interesting. However, my cousin Rick, on the other hand, was completely grossed out. He was even more horrified that the pictures got left on the kitchen counter in the same th- vicinity where there would at some point be food. I guess I overshared. I'm sure that if I asked you, each one of you could tell me about at least one person in your life who you desperately wish that you knew less about. We probably all know someone who shares a little too much. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure that many of you men have had the experience of sitting with a group of women who are mothers, and for some unknown reason, the conversation inevitably turns to pregnancy and childbirth. You are having a perfectly lovely time, and all of a sudden, words like dilated and my water broke are being spoken. This is usually the point where my husband and my father-in-law bolt up from the table and run downstairs and turn on some kind of sporting event. (laughs) Here's the thing, though, about people who uh, sometimes share too much. I'm often secretly thankful for them because I learned that I'm not the only one who has gone through something, and it gives me a sense of being less alone in the world. 
how nice to know that I'm not the only one who has experienced knee surgery or a horrible diaper blowout or trying to potty train a toddler or many other embarrassing and painful situations. Believe me, potty training is painful. But thank goodness everyone has done it before and most have survived. Unfortunately, in the church, however, we tend to go the other way and we usually undershare. We are often too concerned with keeping up appearances, and we we don't allow people to see our authentic selves. We think that if we are authentic and share everything that is going on in our life, others will judge us and won't understand. We tend to think that our issues are unique and no one else has gone through them, which is pretty ridiculous, but that's, you know, that's the way people are sometimes. The problem with this is that when we are unwilling to authentically share with others, we create relational inequity. What I really want you to grasp today is that creating credibility in community requires authenticity. The only way to have credibility in our community is to have authenticity in our relationships. We gain credibility when we stop trying to keep up appearances and instead authentically share our experiences. Our scripture this week comes once again from the Apostle Paul. As Pastor Brad mentioned last week, Paul was a man who was a Pharisee, so he was a religious leader of the Jews. And when we first meet him in the book of Acts, he is holding the coats and cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen. Paul went on to be the chief persecutor of the followers of Jesus. However, one day as he was traveling, he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. And this is so cool. He went from being persecutor to an apostle. He had seen Jesus. And he earned the title apostle from that. From then on, he traveled throughout the Roman Empire, teaching and preaching about Jesus. Paul planted many churches, and he'd often send them letters um, to encourage them or to deal with specific problems that he heard were going on. We've already heard about one problem that the church in Thessalonica was experiencing, but being like most churches, they actually had another problem that Paul needed to deal with. So let's read the passage, and then I'll explain the problem a little more. Would you please stand as we read the word of God together this morning? You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I want to just tell you a little bit about uh, the city of Thessalonica so you can understand why Paul needed to write, write these words. Um, Thessalonica had a strategic location at the crossroads of a major Roman highway that went east-west and then another road that went up north to the Danube into Europe. Not only that, it had the best natural harbor in the Aegean Sea. And because of this, it was the largest city in Macedonia. They estimate that it actually had a population of at least 100,000 people. The society was religiously pluralistic, meaning, I try to say pluralistic several times fast when you haven't gotten enough sleep, meaning that there were several gods and goddesses who the people worshipped, including Dionysus, Asclepius, Aphrodite, Demeter, and Zeus, as well as the cult of the emperor. So many people in the Roman world worshipped the emperor as god. They also worshipped a god named Cabrius, who was the patron god of the city. Pretty much everyone in the city of Thessalonica was an idol worshipper and an emperor worshipper before Paul came on the scene. Here's the thing about their god, Cabrius. It was thought that he cared more about the elite class of people than the common people. When Paul arrived and began to preach about Jesus, He messed with the status quo and made many people angry. Those in the elite class and even the rich Jews in the city could feel their power being eroded by the message of Paul and his friends as they taught about Jesus who cared for everyone no matter their class or status. These people immediately began stirring up trouble and drove Paul and his companions out of town and then began persecuting the Thessalonian believers who remained. One of the most effective ways that the people of Thessalonica found to... uh, Okay, I lost my place. I apologize. Okay, one of the most effective ways that the people of Thessalonica found to persecute the believers and to cause doubt among them was to attack Paul's credibility. We know from the book of Acts that Paul was only in Thessalonica for a relatively short period of time. Some believe he was only there only three weeks. Because of this, Paul had little credibility with the people there. And not only that, but he left town when the church began to experience persecution. That didn't look good. 
Many in the church believed Paul skipped town when things got a little rough for him. Paul had lost all credibility with the Thessalonians. Here are some of the things that Paul was being accused of. One, he was a criminal on the run from the law. Paul had recently been in prison in Philippi, and the stories of what happened there most likely followed him. Two, he was delusional and just plain crazy. Paul followed Jesus with such passion that it was probably easy to think that he appeared to many as being off his rocker. Three, there were those who were, there were, those who were claiming that Paul was preaching with impure motives and were accusing him of having a sexual motive for his preaching. The early Christians had customs such as the kiss of peace that were often deliberately misinterpreted and caused many outside the church to believe that Christians were getting together and having orgies. Four, Paul was also being accused of skillfully attempting to delude people through his preaching. Five, he was accused of seeking to please men rather than God. This accusation probably stemmed from Paul's teaching about freedom in Christ and the fact that believers no longer needed to be bound by the law but were under grace. This made the religious, the leaders of the Jewish community really angry. Six, Paul was also accused of preaching the gospel only for what he could gain from it. Seven, he was accused of seeking prestige for himself. Eight, he was charged with being somewhat of a dictator. I'm sure if you are familiar with some of Paul's other writing, you might agree that he certainly came across that way sometimes. Paul had a major credibility problem. So, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and he said, hold on just a minute. Let me share some of my experiences with you. Everything that I'm being accused of is about keeping up appearances. Let me share my real experiences with you. Don't you remember how we were arrested in Philippi simply because I commanded a demon to leave a slave girl, which meant she could no longer earn money for her owners? Don't you remember how we were stripped and beaten without having a trial? Don't you remember that we were put in prison because of the gospel? Do you, remember, do you really believe that we are trying to trick you out of impure motives? Don't you remember where I came from? I was in a position of power. I had money and prestige. I was a persecutor of Christians. But then God radically changed my life and called me to a life of devotion to the message of Jesus. Remember that we never took money from you, even though it was my right to do so as an apostle. Instead, we worked to provide for ourselves. Paul says, nor did we put on a mask. In other words, we never tried to keep up appearances with you. We were always authentic. Paul shared his own experiences of suffering and pain with the Thessalonians. And in so doing, he reminded them that they were not alone. Paul had also experienced suffering and pain. He knew what the Thessalonians were going through. He had not left them high and dry. By sharing authentic experience with them, he restored his credibility. I think that one of our major problems in the church today is our need to keep up appearances. We want everyone to think that we've got no problems and, you know, we're, we've got it all together and life's good and let's face it, life is messy and none of us has it completely all together. In today's world, with the internet and social media, it is so easy to put on masks and keep up appearances, isn't it? Now, 
I'm on Facebook, as many of you know. <laughs> um, and I really enjoy the ability to stay in contact with my friends and my family who are literally spread all over the world. But here's the problem with Facebook. You're only getting the highlights. You're never getting the whole picture. We choose what we share, and it is so easy to create a false reality of a perfect world in which you live. For instance, I might one day post a picture of myself because I look in the mirror and I think, wow, I look really good today. I'm going to post a picture of myself. As a result, you get pictures like this. Yeah, I look good, don't I? Yeah. Yep, I was having a good makeup day that day. However, you aren't getting the whole authentic picture because nine days out of ten, I look more like this. Or this. This is actually how I looked just this morning. Now, I know that I'm not the only one who looks like this in the morning, and I would probably have a lot more credibility if I would occasionally post a picture of myself, what I look like when I first get out of bed. But I don't want to scare people. Instead, I think, I'm not going to put that picture up because there's a hair out of place, or I have a big pimple on my chin or something. Or take this picture. I know, isn't that sweet? Yes. Now, yes, thank you. Larry likes my hat. Um, if you were to judge uh, this from its appearance, you would think that we are a lovely, happy family who is raising sweet, kind, and well-adjusted children. However, what you can't see from this picture is 10 minutes before when Amy yelled at Caleb because he looked at her, and then Caleb yelled at Amy that he hated her, and then Mommy, who would be me, yelled at both of them to just stop talking because they clearly can't be nice to each other. Now, I probably just gained some credibility with some of you because I also yell at my children. See, nobody is perfect. Or, here's a good one, how many of you have done this before? You have friends or family coming from out of town to visit. And so, you frantically clean your house so that it is completely spotless. Then, when your guests are there, you nervously accept their compliments on the beauty of your home while the whole time you're afraid that your children are going to rat you out at any moment. My family and I Skype every Saturday night with my mom and dad, and it never fails every Saturday afternoon. We tell the kids, we have to clean the living room because we're going to Skype with grandma and grandpa. Now, how many of you have used Skype? Okay. Good, okay, so there's a little camera, you know, in the front of your computer that points at you, okay? Now, part of the reason we have the kids clean up, because it is a nice routine that we've gotten into, but another reason is that in my head, it's like my mom is coming to visit, and my house had better be clean when she gets there. My mom can't even see the living room through the little camera on my computer, but I still need to clean up the living room before I talk to her. Of course, she'll probably watch this online or listen to this later, and now I've ratted myself out to my own mother. Hi, Mom. Now, I am not advocating that you stop cleaning your house before anyone says to their spouse, 
Pastor Jeannie says, I don't need to clean anymore. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that constantly trying to keep up appearances robs us of authentic relationships. Constantly trying to keep up appearances robs us of authentic relationships. When we are always trying to look put together, have our house be as clean as someone else's, have the perfect family, which no one actually does, we have no credibility. Keeping up appearances is exhausting and lonely because nobody knows who you really are. Many of you know um, that 10 years ago, three weeks after Ron and I were married, my sister Angela died very unexpectedly. I can't begin to describe to you the grief and loss that I felt when she died. I felt regret at words that were never said and for moments that I had taken for granted. And as often happens when a loved one dies, we wondered why this happened and we were left with no answers. Only a little more than two months later, Pastor John's daughter died very unexpectedly, and we were once again questioning why. I'll never forget coming to church the Sunday after Missa died and seeing John's family on their knees during the morning prayer time, pouring out their grief to God. I felt compelled to come forward and kneel with Sarah, John's daughter, and pray with her. Sarah and I had become friends over the previous year or so as we shared our experiences in life together. When the prayer time ended, Sarah turned and wrapped her arms around me and sobbed, you understand how I feel. You know what this pain feels like. And we stayed there on our knees with our arms around each other, crying together in our shared experience of grief. Because I had lost my sister, and I had shared that experience with Sarah. I had credibility with her like no one else at that moment. And that became a holy moment as we grieved our loss together. You know, Paul also provides us with another important guideline for credibility. Listen to what Paul says says in these verses. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We cannot have authentic relationships and share experiences with one another if we are not with each other. Paul uses the images of family to describe how he loved the Thessalonians and drew them in by living his life with them. In living with those to whom he was ministering, Paul became the image of Jesus to those around him. Because Paul loved the people by being with them, he showed them the life of hope and peace that comes from knowing Jesus. In order to have authentic relationships and have credibility, 
We can't just spend an hour together on Sunday morning and then go back to our own homes and not speak to anyone from church for the rest of the week. While our corporate worship service is extremely important, it is not where we build relationships and credibility. How many times have you walked through the foyer or a foyer of any church on a Sunday morning and responded to the question, how are you, by saying fine, when, if you were being really truthful, you weren't fine at all? We just don't have the time on a Sunday morning to authentically share with one another. And maybe you don't know that person well enough to want to go deeper with them at that moment. Sharing experiences happens on a smaller scale and takes more time than we have on a Sunday morning. Credibility created through authentic shared relationships happens in small groups. Paul showed the Thessalonians Jesus by simply living and sharing life with the people in the same way that Jesus shared life with his disciples. This is true incarnational living. Paul patterned his life after that of Jesus, who, in John 1.14 says, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. That's from the message. He became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He became God with us. This is the wonder of God. He didn't leave us to wallow in our dirt and shame and mess. He doesn't expect us to go through life on our own. He became God with us. He moved into the neighborhood. We need to do the same thing. We are called to live incarnational lives and share authentic experiences with people. We need to have credibility with others. And the way to do that is through small groups. This is where we have the time to go beyond the surface and share life with others. This is where we go beyond the Sunday morning small talk and go deeper. Small groups are where we no longer need to keep up appearances and can be authentic. My small group doesn't care if I always look perfect or whether I'm a mess. And believe me, most of the time I'm a mess. And they love me anyway. At least they haven't said they don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. This is the beauty of incarnational living. In a group, we can share our lives with each other in an authentic way and so have credibility with one another and with others who are not yet a part of our church who watch how we share with each other. So, what do I want you to do with this? I'm sure you can figure it out, but I'm going to spell it out for you. It's actually quite simple. If you haven't joined a small group yet, Now's the time. We believe that groups are the way that God grows and sustains our community. It's time for you to experience freedom from keeping up appearances and share your experiences with others. It's time to go deeper. Get invested by becoming connected. You can go to our website, which is jolietnaz.org, and you'll see a tab that says Next Steps. You click on that tab, and it'll take you to our next step page where you can scroll down until you see the option that says join community life. If you click on that, you'll be taken to a very simple form, very simple, that you can fill out and you'll be contacted about being placed in a group. If you don't have access to a computer or having trouble, please, please come find me or call the church office. We will help you get signed up. 
I also have a challenge for those of you who are already in a small group. Be willing to go deeper this year. Be authentic and share your life with your group. Build your credibility by sharing experiences. Be willing to invite others to your group so that they can also be built up. As we come to the table this morning, and would those who are serving please come forward, allow this to be a time of response. Respond to the invitation of Jesus, who loves us so much that he put on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. As you come forward, remember that Jesus lived with his disciples, and he ate with them. As we share in the experience of the table together, we embody incarnational living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you didn't leave us in our mess, that you became God with us. We thank you for that great love. We ask that 